This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I hadn't had one for months, and then I had one like last week, and I freaked out. I actually killed it myself. You did? Good for you, yeah. buddy. How'd you do it? Um, So it was like in my shower. Um, it was kind of scurrying around, so I kind of scared it into the middle part and then just got like a zapato or shoe and just smacked that thing. It's very South Florida of you. You don't want to like – the thing I learned is like you don't want to smack it usually and then just like not – you have to clean up the spot after because like if you like just stomp on it or whatever, its eggs are going to spread on your – whatever you smacked it with and like around the area you did it. So you might want to make sure you wash both and like make sure you oh, clean it off. Oh no! Okay. Because that's how they like spread. Oh, gross! That's One time I vacuumed up a spider, and a bunch of little baby spiders started running around all over the place, like uh, hundreds of them. It was awful. That's like straight out of a movie. That's scary. It was a horror movie. But spiders don't scare me as much as uh, roaches, man. Roaches are disgusting. Chris, what freaks you out? The fact that I might be late to my doctor's appointment. Three, two, no, unpinned article. <laughs> unpinned article. <laughs> An unanswered message board question for five minutes. <laughs> if something's Three. not on the front page. <laughs> Missing a hoops press release. <laughs> Missing a cross country press release. Oh no, not a cross country press release. <laughs> Those twenty four seven's gonna melt down. Chris hates us. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Zach Blostein, Chris Snee, uh, Zach I start screaming during this episode. It's because a cockroach has been spotted in my room. I was not able to extract it. And uh, it means it, it found me before I could find it again. We're praying for that cockroach to mess you up, man. Yeah, you would love that for the content, me just screaming. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Even if it crawls all over me, I'm just going to keep doing this podcast like a freaking champion. So the Seminoles, the number 23 ranked Seminoles, are embarking on a top 25 matchup against number excuse me number 22 Wake Forest on Saturday at 3:30 p.m. The game will go on as planned. Obviously, there was a uh, still ongoing right now as we record this Thursday morning. A devastating hurricane in South Florida and, and most of Florida is South Florida for us in Tallahassee, and, and we have a lot of friends and family south of us. So um, you know, like my buddy's house in Winter Haven front porch collapsed in and you know that's minor compared to what's going on in in fort myers so our thoughts and prayers are with everyone if you're listening to this podcast uh for entertainment purposes like this is we won't talk much about the hurricane we're going to talk about 
FSU football, recruiting, buyers to know, and all that good stuff. But for right now, Chris, it seems like the game will go on as planned for Florida State and Wake Forest. Yep, that's the plan. That's always been the plan, despite some grandstanding being done by the opponent. Yep, 3.30 p.m. Saturday, Doak. I expect it to be a good crowd. I don't think it will be as great of a crowd as it would have been if not for the natural disaster that's happening well south of us and east of us as well. Um, yeah, thoughts for those folks, so obviously. Yeah, there, there was a little bit of uh, going back and forth through the media between Wake Forest coach Dave Clawson and then FSU uh, athletic director Michael Offord to, to make sure the game, you know, FSU wanted to make sure this game was played. The ACC wanted to make sure this game was played. Of course, making sure that it was safe to do so. Uh, we'll play Dave Clawson's comments just so to have better context of his press conference from the other day. But you know, basically he was he was saying that there's potential of things being unsafe if Wake Forest traveled down to Tallahassee. And to the only thing I'll say, like, I don't want to get into back and forth here so that, that's immature. Just uh, regionally, Tallahassee is not and has not been for the last you know 48 hours or so really potential to be compromised by the storm from a safety standpoint. Uh, what was in question earlier in the week was whether you'd be able to allocate enough first responders to cover an event that's going to have thousands of people in attendance, even if that attendance can be lower because of people not being able to travel to the game. Uh, but that's all been, you know, seemingly cleared from Florida State's end, and, and the game will go on as planned uh, and safely. So we'll play that audio real quick for you guys just so you have context of it, and then we'll get into Florida State's uh, practice this week and some tidbits going from that. So stay tuned right after these comments from Coach Clawson. You know, Connor, it's, it's one of those deals that you, you certainly hope that the, the ACC office makes the right decision. So it's, uh, you know, and if they don't, we will. You know, we're, we're not going to travel down there and put in anybody at risk. So we're monitoring the weather. Um, you know, obviously this is in the league's hands and Florida State's hands, and we would hope that they make the right decision. Uh, but if, if we feel there's any danger to our, our players, and going down there, we're not going to go. I'll be very cliche-ish in general. You hope they make the right decision. And again, I'm not, you know, when these things happen, everybody's a weather expert. And, and <laughs> you know, it's, there's, there's a major storm hitting Florida. And, and we'll see, uh, you know, what the conditions are. You know, and, and part of it is what are the conditions when we're supposed to fly down there? So um, I don't know that right now. It's Tuesday. I'm sure every day we'll get more information. We have to be prepared to play a football game. To me, it feels a lot like COVID. You know, that COVID, you had all those weeks that you didn't know if you were going to play or not. And if you ended up playing, the team that prepared and thought they were playing usually ended up winning the football game. So if, if we think we're not playing and don't prepare to play and then end up playing, that won't be good either. I mean, we, we charter down there uh, to Tallahassee, you know, but it's, it's, it's not just the flight. It's, you know, the hotel. Does it have electricity? Are they going to be able to feed us? Is there, you know, there's just, you can't go down there and not have food. Right. So, again, if all those things are checked and we feel it's safe, you know, and the ACC uh, determines that it's safe and we feel that it's safe, then there'll be a game. For clarity's sake, 
it's really right now Florida State and the ACC, okay? And then ultimately, we do have some say in this. You know, so, I mean, at any point, Florida State could say, no, we're not playing, or the ACC could say it, and then our say doesn't matter. But if, if they say that they feel they can host the game and it's safe and the ACC feels that way, uh, then it's in our hands whether we feel traveling is safe. I don't know. So I, I don't know. Um, again, I am uh, <laughs> had enough emails and texts on this subject that I'm worn out by it. I'm, you know, I'm really shocked that you guys are asking about it. I didn't think that would come up in the press conference. So Will kind of told me I wouldn't say this, I wouldn't say this. So I've been already slapped of the things I shouldn't say. So we'll, you know, we, we want to play. We absolutely want to play, but only if it's, it's safe and appropriate. So let's talk about the week of Florida State practice. Chris, let's start off with Jordan Travis, his week. Yeah, I didn't think it was his sharpest week of the two days we were able to see. And in fact, probably his worst consecutive days back to back. Uh, but that's also grading at a pretty high bar because he's been so damn solid this season. Yeah, I think caution people, it wasn't bad. I don't want people thinking, oh, my God, he was doing badly. It's just he's very much raised the bar. He's been extremely good and extremely consistent in practices. Even last Wednesday, which was really his first practice post-Louisville game where he was able to really go, he was really good. Now, I think some of that was probably adrenaline because it was first time back out. He was also trying to prove he was good to go for Saturday, which he kind of felt like he was on Sunday. But you got to go and do it to a lot of coaches to believe you can go do it. Um, yeah, it's just the, the rhythm and the timing seemed a little bit off at times. Uh, you know, there was an example yesterday on a vertical pass where I thought it was a subpar pass, but I think it was actually a receiver not properly running a route. Um, so you got to remember there's nuance to everything that's happening too and little things that sometimes you don't pick up on first glance. Like when the ball was thrown, I thought it was a bad throw. Watching the reaction of the coaching staff and the players, I think it was more on the receiver than the throw. Um, I'm not concerned about it. Obviously, you would love to be running just at full efficiency, always good, fine. I think some of it's also going to be, and this is a more general team thing than a Jordan Travis thing, who's available to play Saturday is going to alter some of what they're able to do. They're obviously, like all football teams, five, six weeks into a season, pretty banged up. And FSU went through a pretty physical football game on Saturday against BC, and they entered that game with several injuries already. So they're kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, I'm interested who we see playing Saturday that we didn't really see do a whole heck of a lot during the week because we've kind of reached that point in the season where that's going to be something that just exists. Yeah, and no one was commented on from an availability standpoint by Coach Norvell this week. Uh, Darren Williamson was someone that he mentioned they were hopeful, but uh, he was someone who left the game against BC and not really clear on his standing. But obviously, like against BC, Robert Scott didn't play. Fabian Lovett didn't play. Jared Verse did not play. Those are guys that we're going to be monitoring to see on the sidelines on Saturday. Like, are they suited up? Do they have a chance to go? Uh, because all three have a profound impact in, in the trenches. So we'll be watching that. Um, someone who is seemingly just getting healthier and healthier, and he played against BC last week, and that's Duke Cooper, Maureen Cooper, FSU's cornerback. He had an interception against BC. Zach, I thought he had his best week of practice since preseason camp, someone who just seems like he keeps progressing and getting better. Uh, what were your thoughts on the DB play this week at practice and that you noted and, and specifically uh, Duke? Yeah, I was going to add to Chris's point about um, and, and you bringing up that 
you know, this wasn't JP or JT's, you know, sharpest week of practice. I think part of that is because of how good the DB play has been over the, the, the two days we were out there on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, Duke Cooper, you know, is the start of that, that group. He, he had a nice pick. It was kind of a one-hander, um, basically ripped it away from Malik McLean, um, on a, on a JT pass. I think that kind of just exemplified the, the, the job the DBs did in coverage, uh, of the two days we were out there. Um, Duke, just looks like his old self, man. Like Adam Fuller said it, like Norvell mentioned it, like they're getting what they want out of him. Um, I don't think that was the case against LSU. I don't think that was the case in his, you know, limited role against uh, Louisville. Um, but against BC, man, he looked he looked like his own old self, and that's just so huge for this defense. And it and it couldn't have come at a better time when you're facing, you know, one of the be- best passing offenses in the country, and especially the ACC with Wake. Um, they're, they're, they have multiple talented receivers, and you're going to need your DBs to step up big um, to try and stop guys like At Perry and Donovan Green. So. Yeah, I thought the DBs had a great week. Um, Greedy Vance is another guy that that needs to be, you know, recognized. Um, he obviously had that pick against BC, but he's continued um, this week in practice and, and has looked sharp, um, you know, th- through the two day, two days. Um, and and I think um, there are a few other guys. Renardo Green has obviously been really physical for us, and he's been solid for them on that opposite side of Duke. Um, and and the safety play has been impressive as well. I thought I thought Akeem Dent had a great two days. Um, and Jamie Robinson is always, you know, consistently a difference maker. So um, DBs definitely need to step up on Saturday. And I think uh, this week of practice has me thinking they will. Zach they- mentions carryover with Greedy Vance. Another guy, and he's not a DB, but there was carryover is Patrick Payton. Patrick Payton had a very good performance on Saturday. Uh, Brendan wrote about it yesterday. In fact, he obviously had a much bigger role in large part because of Jared versus unavailability. Uh, there's been carryover with Payne. Payne's been very good in practice this week. Obviously, you know, Wake's going to put a ton of pressure on you with the receivers. They're going to go vertical. They're going to challenge you with Hartman being able to make a hell of a lot of good throws to a lot of different parts of the field, having guys like A.T. Perry, Donovan Green, Taylor Marin, Jamal Banks. Uh, their tight end's also pretty good, Blake Whitehart. So they've got a whole lot of pass-catching options, and they're much better passing offense than running offense. But the one thing that Payton and those guys up front uh, – and that group's obviously a little banged up, but you know, Peyton Cooper, maybe a kid like Daniel Lyons gets a little bit more burned. Josh Farmer, who Norvell has mentioned a couple times since last week, played his best game of his career against BC. Those guys are going to have to be prepared for that Wake Forest slow mesh. The slow mesh, whole lot is made of it because it's pretty unique. You don't see it. Uh, we've had some discussions of really what other teams do it. I don't think anybody does it to the level Wake Forest does it in college football at the D1 level. But the slow mesh, more than anything, is about tempo. And what Wake loves to do with their offense is kind of get you off balance with just kind of being slow at the point of attack, but also going vertical, big play, bang plays, rushing to the line, doing it again, doing it over and over. It gets you out of sorts. You've got to disrupt that tempo at some point. So it's not so much about the slow mesh as just disrupt their tempo, get home, get things done, get them down to the ground. And Patrick Payton's a good example of a guy who might be a very important player on Saturday because of his role continuing to expand. Thank you for jumping ahead, Chris. We had a whole segment on the slow mesh plan with the audio from Kev, but it wouldn't be on the bench without Chris jumping ahead. Uh, The last thing I'll say about FSU practice from this week, I want to echo what, what Zach mentioned about the defensive back play just in general being Really high end. Akeem Dent was 
excellent this week in coverage. Just seems like someone who's coming into his own uh, and kind of getting his footing under him. You know, now that they're a third of the way through the season, uh, Jerry Jones had a few high end effort plays, including one really good one yesterday in team drills in which there was like a low throw to Malik McClay, but one that, you know, was meant to be outside to the big wide receiver. And Jerry Jones just hustles and dives and knocks down the ball. I mean, it was super impressive that he was even able to get a hand on the ball, nonetheless, be able to actually knock it, knock it down. Uh, Sam McCall had about four or five PBUs this week. Like the, I think what we saw was the secondary, which dealing with injuries, kind of dealing with a couple of dynamic athletic quarterbacks the first few weeks of the season, got some confidence with the BC uh, offense being pretty one-dimensional and kind of realized they could play fast. And if that carries over to the Wake Forest game, it's coming at such a perfect time because of Wake Forest offense and, and all the vertical shots they're going to take and the pressure they want to put on the secondary. Uh, FSU is going to need that group to be really good and to be really deep as well, you're going to need to probably go four or five DBs throughout the game at least and three or four safeties as well because of the tempo that Wake likes to run. Uh, with that, let's move to By or Sinone, sponsored by their Turner Group. Uh, we asked you guys to throw some By or Sinone formatted questions onto the message board. Berg used to hate it when when I would allow that prompt because you guys would ask really terrible questions. And, you know, there, there's some not great ones in here, but there's some really good ones in here. Uh, I don't like the over-under, like, number game for this. Let's try to avoid that moving forward. Like, is this guy going to have Byers known 800 receiving yards? I don't know, guys. Come on. Use this as a format to get us to talk about things we wouldn't normally talk about or go more in-depth on things rather than just projections, okay? Uh, with that in mind, after I scolded our audience, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention the Turner Group because they sponsor Byers known. So the Turner Group is a Central Florida real estate company, husband and wife team, Colin and Amy Turner. Both are Knowles. Uh, Colin is a 2005 FSU graduate, Amy 2006. A uh, little buyer Sinone action here. Colin works with all buyers. Amy works with all sellers. So a little buyer Sinone shout out there. Uh, their business model is simple. If you need to buy or sell a home, they can facilitate the entire process from start to finish. They can help you out. It's not just in Central Florida, like they'll go throughout the entire state because they're under the Keller Williams umbrella. Yeah, they can help you out in a multitude of ways. If you're looking to buy or sell a home, if you just want to get information on the process, give Colin a call or reach out over email. I'll give you that number in a second. Uh, but he's someone who legitimately just likes talking about FSU. So even if you just want to call, chat about FSU for a minute or two, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to with the four and no Seminoles right now. Uh, you can reach out to Colin Turner at 407-403-8546. That's 407-403-8546. Or you can email him at get started at the turnergroup.com. That's get started at the turner group. That's get started at the Mention on the bench. Let them know we sent you. Uh, they will start doing some t-shirts and some fun merchandise as well. Uh, so yeah, the Turner Group making by Ors known possible. By Ors known, fellas. Let's get into it. Tampa Knoll, the sauce man, wants to know Wake Forest. Coach does not want to play FSU this week by or Sinone. I will Sinone that. I think it was a good bit of grandstanding. I think it had to do with a little bit of hurt feelings over 2020 and the COVID cancellation on senior day for them. And I, I think it was just truthfully kind of a whole stupid segment thing. Like I, I did not enjoy the fact that he decided he had to make those comments. Uh, he, the leadership of the conference should have honestly kind of stepped in there and had a discussion with him. I, I just think it was unnecessary. He came off as not understanding the situation very well, personally, in my opinion. Uh, Zach? 
I'm still owning it. I, when you look at the press conference, like his comments weren't even that like, you know, out of left field when you when you consider the entire context of them. Um, and it's, I mean, that one where he was talking about like the ACC and like, you know, if they don't make the right decision, we will. Like, yeah, that's that 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 sounds like he doesn't want to play. But um, but I think Wake has a really good team, so I don't I doubt he really um, cares that much. I think it's more about safety. Um, what about you? Yeah, I'm synoning it as well. The comments as they read come off worse than they do watching the video, but he was certainly posturing a little bit, I think more so politicking, uh, side-swapping maybe the ACC a little bit. I think fans are like, oh, yeah, Wake Forest is coming off a double overtime game against Clemson and doesn't want to play this game. Like, I mean, you know, FSU is coming off a game against BC in which they didn't play a lot of their best players. So, like, I don't know if either team's feeling – totally great right now uh it, it seemed more like the the coach like dave Klosser was trying to make a point that was larger than just in the context of this particular game really miss gregory tbh buyers to known baby love it will play versus clemson uh, i will buy that uh let's move on to the next one georgia southern noel buyers to known fsu flips a five-star recruit currently committed to another school zach i'll start with you on that one Five star recruit. That's tough, man. I, I thought um, you were gonna drop an F bomb there. <laughs> no, no, no. Did you, Chris? Did it come? It's like a or... once a month kind of thing. Um, I think also known it. I mean, like the the guys that you can note are right, like Jalen Brown and Shelton Sampson. I think those are the the guys that kind of FSU has a sh- you know slight shot at, at flipping. Um, but I wouldn't Jaylen. predict that. Jalen's a four star. Also, I'm pulling up his profile. He's really? top fifty. Yeah, so he's probably yeah. not going. He's guy would have to jump thirty slots to make it to five star status. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to sit on that. Um, that's not because you know I think Florida State does have a shot at, at flipping some guys committed to other schools, but I just don't think any are five stars. Yeah, looking real quick at the two four seven composite five stars. There's nobody on there. I would project that to happen with. So I'm sitting on it. Also known as well. If it was a blue chip recruit, I would buy it. But the way it's phrased. Five star, no. Uh, real quick, Zach, uh, do you have the visitor list pulled up? I know we're still working to confirm guys, but uh, maybe we throw that into this segment here really quick. Just what we're expecting in terms of attendance from recruits for the Wake Forest game, uh, with uh, the understanding that scheduling uh, travel might be difficult for people in, in South Florida right now. Yeah, I got it pulled up. Uh, you want me to just list some names? Yeah, maybe just like three or four of the names that stand out to you. I'm sure Chris will add one or two, and then we can keep on keep on rolling. Okay. Well, in the 23 class, um, I think a few of note, uh, three-star running back Jordan Louie. He's a West Virginia commit, um, a guy that Florida State's been interested in and definitely wants to see in person. Um, He's had a productive senior season, to my knowledge, so far. That's kind of, I think Clemson's also showing him some interest. So um, he's a guy making it in. And then four-star defensive back Braden Marshall. Um, he was a guy that Florida State was semi-involved semi with before he committed to UCF over the summer. Um, he's a guy out of Lake Mary over there in Central Florida. And I think um, FSU is still in his year trying to um, – I, I definitely think he, he's someone that Florida State's trying to flip. Um, we'll, we'll get up with Braden this weekend and just kind of see where things stand um, and whether he'll you know maybe take an official here later on. Um, you know They're trying to get all their official visitors in in the month of December. Um you know, if it's not their last visit. So I think uh, he, he's a guy to note. And then a guy that's committed, um, Kenton Kirkland, four-star defensive back out of Reigns High School over there in Jacksonville. He'll make it in. 
Cameron Upshaw is a South Carolina defensive back commit. Um, we expect him to, to make it on Saturday. And I would note, like, there could be some other prospects that uh, could make it in, like Brennan said, but a lot of guys are waiting out the storm um, and, and seeing, you know, obviously Hurricane Ian is causing some issues with travel plans. Um, there were some guys like Micah Mays who were who were expected to be in this weekend. Micah Mays is a Wake Forest commit, a four-star, you know, athlete slash wide receiver out of South Florida that was expected in by FSU this weekend. But Mays has told us since that due to the storm, he's not expected to make it in anymore. Um, if you move it over to the 2024 class, Luke Kromenhawk, Florida State's quarterback commit, he actually tweeted like, I think uh, yesterday, like rain, rain, storm, whatever, I'm going to make it in to see the Knowles go 5-0. and So he, he's locked in to, to be there. Um, four-star running back Gerald Modest. Uh, he, he's a talented uh, running back out of the South Florida area. He, he goes to Booker T. Washington in Miami. Um, and there's a few others on the list. You can go check it out. It's on those 24-7. We're going to be adding slash subtracting to that list, I'm sure, um, going into Saturday just because of what I mentioned before. Um, but it, but it's a solid list for considering the circumstances that, you know, everyone in the state of Florida and, and maybe beyond is going through this week. Yeah. And then checking with some kids that we didn't list yesterday and then checking with some we did list uh, pretty consistently. It was, you know, either a yes or kind of depends on travel and more so like, you know, if it's a Georgia kid driving down in the rain, dealing with I-75, dealing with the fact that there's probably going to be a lot of support coming down the highway to to head to South Florida. I think there was some concerns just about getting to and from and kids are some kids in talk, like Dylan Lewis, a defensive back from Milton, Georgia, 2024. I believe he is. He was going to come this weekend. He's bumped it. I believe he's planning now try to come on the 15th, for example, um, which is Clemson. There's a few kids that kind of are going with that theory of I'm just going to move it to the 15th or 29th and take a visit then instead of dealing with, you know, some of the moving parts of what's involved this weekend. One name I would mention, uh, 2024 four-star athlete Norrell White is a kid that FSU was very early on. He'll be a national recruit. He is supposed to come in. He's from over in the Louisiana area. He's a very, very talented kid. Uh, I'm sorry, he's not Louisiana. He's Mississippi. He's Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Um, but he's a guy that FSU's done a good job with. Marcus Woodson was very early in that one. So he's one name I would throw out that is expected that I'm looking forward to seeing there. I think that Clemson game in a couple of weeks is going to end up being a pretty marquee recruiting event for Florida State. Uh, it was already shaping up to be a big one, but for the reason Chris mentioned with some guys having to change uh, schedule stuff. Uh, actually, I just got a confirmation now here for On the Bench. Uh, Hiking Williams was someone who was considering going up to Wake Forest uh, to check out FSU for the Wake Forest game this weekend. Uh, they had to cancel it. Hiking Williams will be in Tallahassee for the Clemson game. So that's the kind of caliber of recruit that will be in Tallahassee. Uh, over the Clemson weekend. Uh, so anyways, but we, there obviously are still a handful of guys who are worth noting that, that Chris and Zach talked about. Uh, moving on back to the by Orsonone format. By Orsonone, this is coming from Unknown Injury. Brennan will eventually try to replace all instances of buy or sell uh, with buy or Sinone. Yes, that's true. Uh, the Turner Group is going to be uh, Sinoning houses to people now with a better context. Cbus Null 84 Byer Sinone, FSU's success in the transfer portal will shift the amount of scholarships they use each year on high schoolers. It's an interesting talking point here. Uh, who wants to start I, with the with it? I'll buy. Um, you know, I remember talking on this podcast probably 12 months ago that FSU's preference is always going to be building from the high school ranks. And I still think that is true. 
but I think the amount, the percentage that will be high school ranks versus potentially portal, at least here in the next couple cycles, I think it's shifted more where there's a little bit more portal interest. I think FSU wholeheartedly understands, one, they're good at evaluating the portal. Two, they've become sort of a portal destination, which isn't the worst thing in the world. And three, it's a way to kind of remedy and quick fix some things. You you are allowed to take both a high school kid and a portal kid at the same position. Portal kid's probably going to help you immediately in most cases because they're going to be an upperclassman, some college experience. Physically, they're more prepared to contribute. The high school kid then has a little bit better window to allow development and not maybe be thrown into the fire. And I think that's something that FSU has done very effectively. So I think they have shifted somewhat in that regard. I still think at the end of the day, high school is more important than Portal. But I think Portal might get a little more love than I once thought it still would a couple years after after FSU worked to flip the roster as they have. Uh, yeah, I'm buying that. I think, I think Florida State obviously puts a huge priority on the Portal. We've seen that the past two, three cycles. Um, and I think they have the proof of concept that it works. Like it can completely change the season outlook for your team if you hit on guys in the portal, like a Jared Verse, like a Tatum Bethune. Like those guys completely change the outlook of your defense. I'm not even mentioning other guys that they've gotten in previous years, like Fabian Lovett and Jamie Robinson. So yeah, I definitely think, um, I agree with Chris. Like obviously the, the priority is to build your program out of the high school level. But I don't think you're taking as many you know, developmental types late in the cycle uh, that you get in the month, you know, December and January, you know, kind of late additions, right? I think you use the those scholarships that you would use through the high school rank before the transfer portal. I think you use that on guys that you think can help you right away through the, through the portal. And like Chris said, Florida State's becoming a school that can sell the recruits. Look what these guys did. They're coming in right away. And they're able to play and contribute and be stars around the, the sport of college football. I mean, Jared Verse made a name for himself, obviously, before the injury. You know, against LSU, he was, you know, dominant. Um, and, and if you didn't know his name, you knew his name after that game um, nationally. Because that, that, that was a huge performance by him on a national stage. Um, and then, obviously, the year before, Jermaine Johnson and Keir Thomas. Like, they have proven the proof of concept and i think that that's going to pay dividends for them as they you know get into the offseason and try to make some valuable additions to this roster heading into next year i totally agree with you guys sorry i'm adding the hiking thing to the message board real quick by or sanone this is coming from kfw 6490 by or sanone fsu slash norvell need to let jtrav run versus nc state and clemson this is interesting because FSU hasn't really had to rely on Jordan Travis as, as a designed runner, a, a little bit against LSU. Uh, more so his running threat is coming, like moving around in the pocket and then extending plays with his arm, which is a really great trait. Uh, they haven't had to do that. You know, I know J. Trav had the brace on against BC last week, still looked okay. I, I'm going to buy, like, I think that you have that in your back pocket, break in case of emergency sort of deal. Even against Wake Forest this week, if that becomes a shootout and you need all aspects of your offense to score about 40 points or so, uh, yeah, I think that's something that you you lean on if you have to. I say bye, uh, let him run. What do you guys say? I think it's, yeah, bye. I'm buying that. Um, it's pretty crazy and, impress and impressive that Florida State's been able to win all four games without really unleashing that part of Jordan Travis's game 
and the offense in general. Like we've seen the years past, like that part of Jordan Travis's game has been so influence, influential in this offense. And for them to not even really use it in the first four games they played in close games at that, right? Like all, all those games ex- ex- besides the, I mean, the two games, right? Like the L- LSU and Louisville game were really highly contested. And the, and J-Trap didn't really have to do that to win. Um, and obviously, I think in years past, like he can probably admit, like he probably forced himself into into running when he could have made plays downfield. Obviously, he's done a really great job at, at, at getting better at that this season. But yeah, I think it, if it comes down to it and you need to, if it's a shootout and, and you need to unlock every aspect of your offense, I think you you try and you know run J-Trav more and make that more of a threat um, so the defense has to respect it. I'll also go with bye, but I think it's as the game dictates it. Yeah. Um, the 16-yard run, I think it was 16 against BC. Perfectly timed, perfectly done by Jordan. Uh, very good decision. Also did an excellent job of getting down. At the end of the day, he's got to save his body. He's more important at, on all plays and making one play. And he's become a very good passer at standing in the pocket and delivering and waiting till that last moment and still delivering. It's one of the biggest improvements he's made in his arsenal. And it's important that he kind of sticks that and doesn't get back into a runner's mentality. But, yeah, obviously the kid's a hell of an athlete, always has been. It's been his greatest asset from the word go. I mean, it's what he was two years ago when he was a subpar passer at that point in his development. You know, the BC game up there two years ago, right? It was two years ago now, 20, I believe. Twenty? No, 2019. Three 19, years ago. so three years ago. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's got to be a part of it. But I also don't want it to become like, don't change the way you are passer first now because I think he's done such a splendid job of developing in that regard, and it's why the offense has kind of taken off. This comes from the a- the Apex Knoll, the Apex Knoll. Byers to known Winston Wright will play meaningful snaps before the second half of the season, uh, given that we're only two games away from being midway through this. Oh, one game. I mean, well, Wake Forest in the week after, you're halfway through the season. Uh, I will say known that. I, I think that Winston Wright is someone who will play this season. It uh, seems like they're encouraged by his progress. Mike Norville's talked about his spirit and just like how he's really continued to battle back through the rehab process to even position himself for that. But that's asking a lot for someone to be playing, quote unquote, significant snaps uh, in the next two games here. So I will say known that for now. Uh, let's see. Big drip, Noel Byers known. Boxing bug getting his ban revoked. I don't think he's banned i've banned him three times i checked on this because it's been talked about a lot lately i usually have a three strike or your out <laughs> policy uh because that i just don't have time to deal with people that make me ban you three times like grow up what are we doing there uh but i don't think it was a permanent ban i think he just stopped so uh, this isn't a free boxing bug type of deal guys like he's he's able to if he wants to uh hi no buyer sinone the Noel's 24 7 message board i mean i uh, i don't sound like i'm someone who's going to buy that right now chris Wait, what was the question? The Knowles 24-7 message board. We buy it or Sinone in it. Uh, I'll buy it. I mean, it's going to put my kids through college. So you guys do whatever <laughs> the hell you want. Like, I'm good with it. Is that the first time Chris has said that on air? Um, I think uh, I'm buying it right now. But, man, in, like, July, uh, that was a hard Sinone. I'm sorry, guys. You guys were insane during the a, summer months. A hard Sinone, indeed. Illinois buyers Sinone. Norvell is ahead of schedule in this rebuild. That's a good question. So we're in year I will three. buy. Okay. Um, I, I think it is because, yes, we're in year three, but year one is such a throwaway. I mean, it, it's so uh, – other than the fact that they purged the roster, I don't know that there's really a single positive I can point to year one and talk about. 
I think they were smart in purging it at the time, um, even though they kind of had to hit rock bottom while doing so. I think they're ahead of schedule. I mean, I sure as hell didn't think they were going to start four and zero. And I think there's a legit chance they can be six and one, or at worst five and two after the first seven. They're going to end up exceeding the seven or so wins that I expected this year. I I think they are ahead of schedule. I don't think it's drastic, but I think it is. Seven would have been on schedule. Seven wins or so in like a top 15 recruiting class and kind of getting that built up a little bit, I think would have been on schedule. I think you're in position, so I'll buy it uh, based on how you've started. You have to finish it as well now at this point, and the expectations have shifted a little bit. uh, to to, And the shifting of expectations leads me to the buy that you are ahead of schedule because now at 4-0, being ranked already at this point in the season, uh, the chance to legitimately, like the ESPN FBI has you winning nine games this season at this point. Like that's the most likely outcome. Uh, to me, that would be drastically ahead of schedule if you're winning two to three more games than you expected and then all the recruiting juice that comes with that. Yeah, that's potential buy for me. One other quick thing I'd add is I feel like everybody's pulling the exact same way. Uh, Culture-wise, it's been completely flipped. It's it's really impressive just on a day-to-day basis, kind of watching the team operate, work, how much they like each other, how they cheer for one another. All those things are extremely good. And, man, it's night and day from where it was when he walks through the door. So, like, uh, to me, that sets an excellent base for where they're going in the future. Yeah, I'm buying that. Um, I'm with Chris. Like, I don't think it's, like, way out of schedule. Um, but, yeah, I would not have predicted 4-0. I think I was probably my win share, whatever we did before the season, I was probably, like, 2-2. Two and two. Um, You know, I definitely – I mean, we obviously learned more about these teams. Like, BC was is not a good team. Um, but I didn't think they were going to win that LSU game and they come out on top and they probably should have won by more. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Norvell's just done such a great job in all aspects, right? Like Chris said, I think everything is, is trending positively. Um, and I think this three game stretch will, will tell you how far ahead of schedule he is. You're right. What? Like wake NC state Clemson. If you go three, no, obviously that's, I mean, way ahead of schedule two and one i think is what you hope for um but anything less than that i think like that's probably par for the course of of what you expected this season to be zach if i could trade if i could tell you right now i can guarantee you one and two in the next three weeks here would you would you take it that means you basically avoid zero and three but you can't go better than i would i would take that because before the season if we had you know all these teams stacked up against each other we knew what NC State, Clemson, and Wake were going to be, and you expected them to win one of those games. Like I don't, I don't think I would have. I think I would have predicted them to lose all three of those games before the season. But now I think they can win one, and especially if you're giving that to me, I'd take that. I'm not taking it because I want to see two and one and be in the ACC Atlantic discussion, which would be far exceeding the expectation going into the season. But that's the reality of the next three weeks. You win two of the three, you're legitimately in that discussion as a representative from that half of the league. I thought I was muted. I wasn't muted. Sorry. Uh, I would, I wouldn't, I don't think I would answer my own question. I don't think I would take the trade off of guaranteed one and two. I think I would roll the dice a little bit just because I think one and two is probably the most likely scenario. So I would say, let's, let's see what happens. And if you, you do something that you're not supposed to do, you'll probably be an underdog at NC state. You'll almost assuredly be an underdog at home against Clemson. Even if you do take care of business the next couple of weeks, uh, Give me a, give me a chance to to possibly roll the dice there and and exceed expectations, like Chris said, be in the driver's seat uh, of the ACC Atlantic. This team has the potential to do it, uh, depending on how injury health, knock on wood, uh, kind of shakes out the next few weeks. 
This is a good question as well from Marius Sud. Bayer Sinone, FSU flips. I guess it's not technically a question. It's a prompt. Bayer Sinone, FSU flips a quarterback before early signing day. Ooh. Ooh. So FSU currently does not have a quarterback commitment. I don't think they're going to flip Chris Parson from Mississippi State. I think that ship has sailed. But who does that lead us to? That leads us, us to Amory Williams, Miami potentially. Brock Glenn, I don't think would be someone that like you give up on totally, especially with the season you're having. Like I think that you have that ammunition now. If like the big remember the big one of the big reasons why Brock Glenn didn't commit to Florida State was the the job security, the perceived job security of, of this coaching staff. Uh some of that was a false narrative around the country that you know Norvell was on a hot seat in 2022. Uh it'd be more 2023 year. But even like with the start, like I think he's done enough proof of concept to probably warrant like a we'll stop short of say that like a like a legitimate like long-term extension but uh, i think there's buy-in now around the university people have seen what he can do around the community of tallahassee uh, i say all this rambling of i think you have something to sell to brock glenn that you didn't have beforehand so i would imagine that's something that fsu could circle back around to if you keep on winning uh anyone else like so yeah i don't think fsu goes over and quarterback in this class i think they've had plans i think they have contingencies ready to go when things can go their way in the summertime I'll go by. I think there's a quarterback that they will find and, and it'll very likely be a flip pick rather than somebody who's uncommitted at this point in the game. Yeah, I'm uh I'll buy that. I think all their guys that they're semi-interested in um or could be interested in down the line are flip candidates. I don't think there's a lot of quarterbacks nationally that are uncommitted that Florida State would be interested in, just because I don't think, you know, most of the quarterbacks around the country that are um, you know, FSU caliber or, or power five caliber are, are committing to schools in the spring um, and maybe the summer. So not a lot of guys are, are uncommitted going into the fall. Um, but I think, yeah, I think like, like you mentioned, Emory Williams or Brockland or maybe even some other guys committed to other schools. Like I think that's more likely out of the high school ranks. Um, if you're going to get anyone, I think you're going to flip someone. I'm synoning it for right now. Cause I'm just not Whoa. convinced. I'm just not convinced there's a guy in the high school ranks that they're going to flip. Um, quarterbacks, one knows where it's, you know, obviously coaching changes happen and it sometimes shakes things loose down the stretch. But guys at FSU has really been involved with Brock Glenn. I don't see it happening. Avery, uh, Avery that's committed to K-State. Johnson. I, Johnson, thank you. I want to say Jones, and I knew that was wrong. I want to say um, Avery Stewart. Not too soon for that. Avery Stewart flip pick? Hmm? I don't think uh, Avery's going to happen, the quarterback one. Emory maybe, but like I'm not entirely convinced they're all in on that one either. I I, I still think Portal might be the option at the end of the day, so I'm going to go with Sinonim for now. Mm, a little controversy. I like it. Final buyer Sinone, and there was a lot of good ones that we didn't get to. Sincerely, uh, I I Sinone Berg's assertion that you guys could not do this. You did it very well. Uh, not all of you, but many of you. Uh, we're just low on time here. So this is the last one from JJH10. Byers known based on Jay Trav's performance, Mike Norvell can develop quarterbacks better than Jimbo Fisher. Brendan, <laughs> why don't you go first here? Because I know you're I know you're itching to. Well, yeah, I mean the Byers Snow format doesn't leave a whole lot of ground for nuance. Currently, currently, as of today, as of 2022, I'll buy that Mike Norvell does a better job developing his scheme around quarterbacks and hence developing them to be productive in the college system. 
Uh, I'll, I'll put it that way. I mean, Jimbo Fisher had a stretch where he had three straight quarterbacks go in the first round of the NFL draft. He had a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback less than a decade ago. Uh, but he's failed to really do a good job. I mean, Kellen Mond has not been good at all in the NFL and was fine as a college player. He was a good college quarterback, but his offense has been pretty pedestrian so far this season. It's been two years in a row of it just being really mediocre and given the athletes they have around uh, on offense. Uh, so part of this is not just developing of quarterbacks, which FSU, Mike Norvell, Tony Tokars with Kenny Dillingham last year, like deserve a ton of credit for helping develop Jordan Travis and Jordan developed himself too. He's worked really hard to get to this point, but they've created an offensive system that fits really well. And they've adapted it slightly uh, to Jordan Travis's skill set. And with that in mind, like uh, that's where I give Mike Norvell credit is his willing, his willingness and ability to be a, uh, adaptive to different types of quarterbacks over the years, both at Memphis and now at Florida state, uh, Long way of me saying bye. I, I got I got Mike doing a better job developing quarterbacks and around his quarterbacks than Jimbo currently. How about that? Now, I'm I'm copping out. I think it's more of a push personally. I think that's oh. very capable. Of, but I think Sonone makes a phenomenal point, and it's why Mike Sonone it. I think Mike Norvell not being a stubborn old middle aged man who won't alter things is the most important quality that he has over what Jimbo Fisher does. The reason Jordan Travis excels beyond all of the development that he and the coaching staff has done with him is the fact that that offense is 100% molded around him effectively when he's in the game. And you know what? When he wasn't in the game and Tate was in the game, you know what the offense did? It was molded around what Tate can do. Crazy. That's a coach that gets what the hell he's doing and said, you're just going to plug this guy in and he's going to do what he's got to do, which became way too much of a stubborn point of Jimbo Fisher which is probably his biggest hindrance to allowing his quarterbacks to excel at their highest level consistently, regardless of the name. He wants generational quarterbacks, and he doesn't always get generational quarterbacks, but he's still going to try to do things that desire generational quarterbacks, and that's aggravating. And that was aggravating here, and it's continued as new stop. You can't push, Chris. I mean, when the Turner group... Hell, I'll buy then. You have yeah. them. Buy <laughs> Let's go. When the Turner group tries to to when they, when they do close on houses and they've had about a hundred in the last year, they're not pushing it on people. They don't buy leads. All right. I didn't want it to sound like I don't think Jimbo can develop a quarterback. He I, know, I know. He did. I saw it with Ponder. I saw I saw it with other guys. He did it here with. He can do it. I just think Norvell's coaching tactics with the development of quarterbacks is better than what Jimbo does in just developing a quarterback and shoving them into the system that he's so adamant it has to be run a certain way. Chris, I'm trying to I'm trying to sell our sponsor here. Stop interrupting me, please. We got. I love the got, Turner Group. <laughs> putting Chris's kids through college. Uh, <laughs> the Turner Group. Uh, we want to thank them for making this segment possible. Uh, they like to have fun with the process. They're going to have fun partnerships with all on the bench clients. We're talking about shirts. We're talking about Yetis, OTB gear. I'm doing the passing it out type of deal. Buy on on OTB gear with the Turner Group. Zach, finish this off here. Byers to known. Uh, Jimbo sucks. Bye. <laughs> okay. Nah, he. That was, a, dude, that, was a mature, that was immature of us. I'm sorry. He, uh, yeah, his offense is just putrid, man. It's so hard to watch. It's been a toughie this year for good old. And, but can I can I answer the last question? I think, um, like, I want to buy. Like, I think Norvell does more with less. Like, Norvell doesn't recruit the quarterback position, or he hasn't historically as good as Jimbo has, right? Um, if you have to be fair, like Jimbo, yeah, if you have, yeah. but what I'm saying is like it's not close. Um, but 
but Norvell seems to churn out some pretty good level quarterbacks for what he's trying to do. And he kind of molds the offense around them. Whereas Jimbo is so stuck in his ways, like you guys mentioned to where he's kind of making his quarterbacks that are, that were, you know, highly tattered out of high school look bad because they're just not able to run this really complex offense that should have been abolished in like, you know, the late 2010, like, you know, like, I think it, it, it's just well, like, well, the 2013, I mean, offense. Yeah. That's well. what I'm saying. Like, but when you go past that, like when, when you get, when you, when you lose Jameis and um, what your next options, Everett Golson, and then Deandre Francois, like you, you need to adapt. Like it's not the same level of quarterback. It's not a generational talent. Um, and, and Jimbo never did that. So I, yeah, I mean, I think if you're talking about pure development, I think Jimbo's probably better. But I think adapting your offense around your quarterback is equally as important to make your quarterback look good. If we had been asked this question just two years ago when Mike Ravel was getting here and Jimbo had at least developed Kelman to a draftable prospect at that point, like we'd say this is pretty crazy. But given the growth of Jordan Travis, which is a huge part of this equation and what's happened at Texas A&M, maybe there's some recency bias, but I think the fact that we're even having this conversation legitimately with maybe some garnet and gold glasses on admittedly uh but I, I do think there's legitimacy to the point that like yeah mike's done a phenomenal job working his offense around his quarterbacks with that in mind uh we are going to take a quick commercial break on the way back we will have kevin little of x's and Knowles do a quick segment with us to basically explain the slow mesh you want to check out all of his opponent preview stuff on the x's and Knowles channel it, it, the, those videos do Fantastic numbers if you're trying to learn about what an opponent is attempting to do against Florida State. Like that is the optimal place to go and get that all in a digestible, short like experience. This is going to be just like an abbreviated version of that, though, uh, with what Wake wants to do on offense. Uh, and then we will put in our Wake Forest predictions and final game summary then. So stick with us. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Wake Forest's Slow Mesh RPO is an RPO just like any other. RPOs, or run-pass options, work by leveraging a defender who has multiple responsibilities. Imagine an outside linebacker who both has to defend a slot receiver and has a responsibility on the inside for run protection. If the offense runs that receiver out on a route while inserting the running back into his gap, it means that defender has to make a choice. And either way, that defender's going to be wrong. Wake Forest's RPO takes this idea and expands upon it. The obvious first thought is that it makes the read easier for the quarterback. Make the mesh longer and he has more time to read it. However, the biggest advantage behind it is it enables Wake Forest to expand upon the routes they can run. Typically in RPOs, you can only run glance or slant routes. Both short routes because it's a quick read. That means you're typically reading a linebacker or a nickel corner. Which means the safeties are free to hang out in that slant or glance window and take away that easy pass. However, safeties have run responsibilities too. And if the offense has a tight end in the game like Wake likes to do, that means one of your safeties has to have a gap that they're responsible for 
to take on all the blockers and the running back. That's where Wake's slow mesh comes in. Because it's such a slow mesh, it allows the receivers to get downfield. Oftentimes you'll see them run fades or deep posts. And that means if those safeties want to hang out around 10 yards, where they're available to fill in in the run game, they'll be leaving their corners out on islands. And with a quarterback as good as Sam Hartman and wide receivers as good as A.T. Perry, that's a difficult ask for any defense. However, the defense does have one more option. They can choose to keep their safeties back and stay light in the run game. Wake Forest will read that and go where the numbers dictate. However, their offensive line isn't as good at run blocking as their receivers are at pass catching. It took Clemson three quarters to figure this out last game, but when they did, they were able to effectively shut down Wake Forest by making them run the football and asking their front four to stop them. And so that's the secret to stopping Wake Forest. You have to choose the one-on-one matchups you think you're best suited to win and force them to play that game. However, as Wake Forest has shown repeatedly over the past few years, this is a lot easier said than done. Thanks to Kev for sending us the audio clip there. Again, you can check out all this stuff on X's and Knowles and also on our Knowles 24-7, easy for me to say, YouTube page as well. Uh, The guys at the Triple Option, Trey, AB, Kev, are doing a phenomenal job of just populating both those pages with a lot of unique, fun content. Uh, It's also where you can watch post-game reaction show on Knowles 24-7's YouTube page, and, and they'll be talking about that as informatively and as thoroughly as anyone in the market like immediately after the game tell you what they saw what happened why fsu won why fsu lost which hasn't happened yet this year so as we get to this game this is going to be really interesting wake forest florida state top 25 matchup seminoles are 23rd in the country wake forest 22nd fsu 4-0 2-0 in the acc wake forest 3-1 0-1 in the acc after a double overtime loss at home against top five Clemson last week. That was a really fun game, a shootout. Watched some of that while traveling up uh, from Fort Lauderdale back to Tallahassee with Dane Draper. Uh, I was watching it in the car. I was not driving at that point. It was one of the few times in which I was not driving. Shout out Dane. Shout out falling asleep. Shout out I can drive eight hours in a row. Shout out <laughs> youthful arrogance. <laughs> uh, should have stayed in Central Florida, kid. Should have listened to Christney. I should have listened to Christney on the James Blackman headline five years ago, and I should have listened to him a week ago as well. Uh, let's see. This is currently a seven-point spread in favor of FSU. FSU giving seven points. I think the first time I checked this out on William Hill, it was minus four and a half. Depending on, like, there was different – the spread and the, the lines when they all opened uh, – or excuse me, just the spread when they all opened on Sunday was, like, all over the place. It's kind of weird. But this money has moved favorably towards Florida State's end. I'm sure Dane will talk about that more in depth and more articulate and better than I can because he does a lot of research on this stuff. Uh, and tomorrow's episode of, of On the Bench actually be in the, on the, be on the bench feed with Trey Rowland as they do, what do we call it? Know thy enemy? Know thy foe? What, what is it, guys? We don't know. I don't know. You run the network. <laughs> that was a mistake for someone to allow to happen. <laughs> Okay, so Kev Kev broke down what the slow mesh is. Chris did as well, like about 40 minutes ago, because that's what he does. Uh, Kev does a better job than me, though, for the record. Kev does a phenomenal job, and Chris does a good job. Kev's just awesome at it. Uh, So what we are talking about with the slow mesh and Wake Forest with like this wizard of a quarterback with Sam Hartman is the ability to push the ball downfield while running the RPO. And that's something that is difficult. It's not this little slant and and glance stuff. No, like you can actually take vertical shots with the conflict you're putting 
uh, cornerbacks and, and defenders. And uh, Chris, the matchup, FSU's cornerbacks first wakes wide receivers. To me, that's the most interesting matchup. I think that's going to dictate uh, the winner of Saturday's contest. Are you are you in line with me on that one? I'm flipping the course. I think it's FSU's wide receivers versus their DBs. Ooh. FSU's got to score seven, not three in this game. They're going to have to keep scoring. Uh, to me, that's important. I would agree that that matchup is of great importance too, though. It would be the second one for myself. What about you, Zach? What are you watching? What are you focused on? What intrigues you about this upcoming contest? I think, um, I mean, the biggest thing obviously is uh, Wake Forest's biggest strength on their team is obviously Sam Hartman and his connection with those receivers. Um, but I think, like, obviously, the for me, I think the easy point would be like the DBs. Like, I think they need to step up big, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but I want to see Forest State's offense be dominant right like i don't think wake's defense is all that impressive um they're not bad but i i want to like if florida state's going to win this game they're going to need to score a lot of points i think um so i need to see jordan travis really step up and have an amazing game um and i need to see florida state's running back step up as well so you know i think the defense is going to have to play really well um but i think florida state's offense could have more of a mismatch on that Wake Forest defense than, than um, one may perceive. Zach mentioned the run game for Florida State and the running backs need to perform well. I I think that's going to be where Florida State has a chance to really get Wake. And not that you can't be balanced because you've done that so far this year. And if, if Wake tries to sell out against the run, and they're extremely aggressive the way they attack the run. Uh, you got guys attacking gaps on the defensive front. You got a lot of run blitzes with the linebackers. Like They're going to try to take that away. Uh but so that means you have to be balanced and you have to be able to take your shots and take your one-on-ones outside when that happens. But, but Wake has been exposed a little bit early in the year against the run. Their average in yards per carry or excuse me, yards before contact per carry 1.61 uh, before contact. That's 53rd nationally, which is, which is fine. That's about what it should be. Although they've had a pretty soft schedule other than Clemson so far. So that's not fantastic. I think where it gets interesting, uh, where you can do a little bit of work, is is you can break some tackles for Wake Forest because of how aggressive they are. They have 38 missed tackles against the run this year. It's one of the lower or one of the worst totals, I should say, in the nation. FSU forces a lot of missed tackles with its running backs, especially Trey Benson and Trey Sean Ward. Uh, you're going to have a chance to run on them a little bit, and if you can create explosives off of that and then capitalize in the red zone, which has been kind of a bugaboo for Florida State this season. Uh, then you're gonna have a chance to win this and, and win this game kind of comfortably, I think, or at least at least keep pace and control the game. Maybe a better way of phrasing that. Uh, with that in mind, again, we will have on our OTB feed tomorrow a more thorough breakdown of what Wake Forest is trying to accomplish, their personnel. One final preview for you guys before the game on Saturday. Uh, for now, we are gonna get out of here. Let's do our predictions though before we leave. Uh, I haven't really thought a ton about this before starting, um, but. I watched Wake Forest a couple times last night. Uh, I think I've settled on it. Yeah, I feel okay about this. I'm going to go Florida State 38, Wake Forest 35. I'm picking the Seminoles to win, uh, not cover, but but to win. Anyone else want to do a prediction? Just me? I will predict. <laughs> um, I'm going the opposite. I'm going Shocker! Wake Forest 38. And Florida State, 35. Wow. Zach's just chicken littling all over the place. Injuries. <laughs> Jeez.
take get that sniper rifle just emerge from the top of your apartment complex. <laughs> Depth heart. I don't feel great about Saturday just because of the fact that Wake can score so prolifically and quickly. I am very interested to see if FSU offensively tries to hit bang plays or if they more try to control the clock or if it's some kind of balance of the two where you have some drives where it's very quick strike and some drives where, yeah, we're going to run 11 to 14 plays and we're going to take seven minutes off the clock if we can. Yo-yo that tempo, baby. I, I, yeah, and I, I think that might be the theory that he goes with. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm taking FSU 35-34. I'm going to go ahead and be that guy. I think Wake makes a couple field goals because they got a great field goal kicker. I think FSU lives a 7-3 life, scores five touchdowns in the game, and they squeak one out. I don't feel great about it. I really think it's a game that can go either way. I am shocked line is seven, at, honestly. Um, I would take Wake in the points all day, personally. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think FSU squeaks it out at home and I think FSU's got a, they keep building on having to prove things. BC was play a complete game. Well, now it's really good opponent show that you can win with offensive firepower, get enough defensive stops. That's sort of what they got to do on Saturday. If they do that, they do win, but I I think it's going to be a hell of a battle. I was going to give Chris crap. He's picked Florida state in every single game this season, but he's also been correct. His predictions every single game. So five and oh knee. Yeah. This is one I feel the most uneasy about, truthfully, going into the game based on the week and just what I expect to be on the field for FSU and things of that sort. And I also have a healthy respect for what Wake can do offensively. I don't think their defense is all that good personally. Um, but their offense can put up points. So FSU's defense, especially that secondary, has to come to play. They have to win some of those one-on-ones, get a few takeaways change the mode of this game, let Mike Norvell go coach offense, and I think FSU's got a shot to pull it out. Okay, let's get out of here. The healthiest man at Knowles 24-7 has a doctor's appointment to get to. I exam, buddy. I exam. I never said my eyes were healthy. My eyes have stunk since the day I came out of my mother's womb. Ugh, that's a visual. For Chris Nee, Zach Blossie, and I'm Brendan Sanova. This has been On the Bench. We'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. No one can see you waving, Chris. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.